welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm your host, Trevor Cummings, and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. Today, we're going to be talking about the article that I wrote called, What Do You Get When You Add Appreciation to Income? And the answer is, what do you get when you add appreciation to income? You get total return. This season for me, towards the end of the year, I'm doing a lot of reviews with clients because it's a really good time for us to say, hey, is there any like end of the year tax planning that we need to do? Did we accomplish all the things that we set out to do in 2019? And then also begin to itemize these different tasks that we need to accomplish in 2020. When I have a high concentration of meetings with a lot of clients, uh, I begin to see the themes and the conversations that we start having. And that's what I wanted to write about today. Um, as, as, as simple as this equation sounds, this has been a theme of a lot of my conversations. And that equation is that total return equals appreciation plus income. And that's important because when anybody makes any sort of investment, they have a mindset that they're trying to create a return on investment. That's the reason that we go through the trouble, right? That's the reason that we don't like let all of our money just sit in cash. We want to find an investment that if we put money in it today, that'll be worth more tomorrow. And that quote unquote worth more tomorrow will be what we use to fund the things that are important to us, fund vacations and retirement and college and so on and so forth. So what I wanted to talk about is how this equation of total return equals appreciation plus income, it permeates all investment assets. And if you have a a general understanding of what that means, it can help you provide context to your investments. And it can also help define your expectations for these different investments. And right now in the conversation, I think that can sound a little ambiguous. So let's just jump right in and let's take an asset as an example. And I want you to think about real estate. You yourself might own a rental property, or you might have friends or family members that that own a a rental property, and and you'll know that it is quite a bit of work to set that up. But again, somebody's willing to take on that work because they're trying to create a return on investment. We talked about that. So when you think about somebody getting a property, what do they do? They're going to scour Zillow. They're going to look at all the options available. They're going to look at what they can afford. They're going to meet with the bank of possibly getting a mortgage. Once they set up all that diligence and they actually buy the home, where do they go from there? Well, they're going to go out and they're going to find a renter. They're going to put a renter in there. And then what is their expectation? Well, if we go back to our equation, if total return equals appreciation plus income, they're going to expect that that property, as long as they hold it, will appreciate over time. What does appreciate mean? It means that if I bought it for $500,000, I'm going to expect in the future, whatever date that I want to sell it, that it's going to be worth more than $500,000. That's the appreciation of the asset. That's the appreciation of the property. Now, that'll be important in the future, but let's be honest, it's not really going to matter to me tomorrow because I'm not going to realize that appreciation. I'm not going to experience it in any uh, meaningful way. I'm not going to be able to spend that appreciation. So, If I am a landlord, where am I going to focus a lot of my attention? I'm going to focus a lot of my attention on the income. What do we call income when it comes to real estate? We call it rent. So if you're a landlord currently, or if you know somebody that's a landlord, you know that they're going to focus on two things. They're going to focus on occupancy, this idea that they always have a renter in there um, renting because they don't want to uh, have a month where they don't get a payment. And then the other thing that they're going to focus on is not only collecting that rent, but over time raising that rent. Right. So we understand that there's this idea of inflation or cost of living adjustment. So a landlord is going to set a target for themselves to say, hey, I want to raise this income by a certain amount uh, each month. Over time, what that landlord is also going to learn is they have absolutely no control over how that property appreciates. 
Now, you could argue against me and you could say, hey, they could take an old stinky house, put a lot of money into it, and they could in turn create a, a greater price per square foot. Yeah, there's truth to that, and that's the the speculation and the idea behind house flipping. But for, for, for most of us, the majority of the appreciation, it's not going to be what we control. What's going to drive that appreciation? It's going to be driven by the current of the real estate market. It's going to be driven by the demand of buyers in our area. It's going to be driven by the comparable sales in, in, our, in our particular area. Um, a landlord is going to realize that they don't have a lot of control over that appreciation. So again, we go back to that equation where we say that, hey, I go into this wanting to create a return on investment. I understand that total return is an equation of appreciation plus income. Where is that investment property owner going to focus a lot of their attention? They're going to focus on the income. They're going to focus on this idea of always having a renter, always getting rent, and always raising that rent. So I think real estate is probably the most familiar asset to most of us. So it's an easy place to start. But now let's segue, same equation, right? I'll remind you, uh, we, we said total return equals appreciation plus income, so same equation. And now let's transition into bonds. And just a quick refresher, what is a bond? A bond is when I lend money to a municipality or the government or a corporation for a certain amount of time, and the expectation is that that entity, the government, the municipality, or the corporation, is going to pay me back an interest rate on an annual basis until they pay me back my full amount of money. So what that means is, let's say I go out today and I want to lend the U.S. government um, some money because they're going to pay me an interest rate, right? So I go out and I say, hey, I'm going to lend the government $100,000 for 10 years. Approximately, the going rate right now is about 1.8%. So I give them my $100,000. They agree to pay me 1.8% over a 10-year period. So what happens is they're going to pay me semi-annually. So I get about a $900 check twice a year. At the end of the 10 years, what happens? They give me my $100,000 back. It's a pretty easy investment to understand. Now, again, going back to our equation, total return equals appreciation plus income. Where in the world does appreciation come from in that particular equation, right? Because we're getting paid back a fixed payment. But I'm having this conversation a lot in 2019 because our clients' bond portfolios have appreciated greater than the interest payment. How could that be possible, right? If I if I build a portfolio of bonds and I'm expecting to get maybe a 3% interest rate, how in the world in 2019 could that bond portfolio be up 8% or, or some number of that nature? Well, we have to learn how a bond could appreciate. So when we think about the bond market, I just gave you a really easy example saying that if I lent the government my $100,000, I told them they could have it for 10 years, they pay me back 1.8%. What happens within that 10 years if I decide, hey, I actually need that money back. I can't go and knock on the door of Uncle Sam and say, hey, uh, you know, I, I know I lent you this money, but I, I changed my mind. What I have to do is I have to find someone to replace me as the lender. And what do I mean by replace me? It means I have to go out and sell my bond on the open market, and whoever that buyer is, they'll take over the position as the lender. So I bought this bond in 2019, and I told you it's going to pay about 1.8%. What if I told you that one year ago in 2018 December that same bond the same you know the same government uh, kind of the same terms was paying 2.8% you'd say well, that's odd you're getting paid 1.8% today when you lend the money but a year ago they were doing 2.8% why does it happen well everyday interest rates are changing and 
because of that fact, the, the government is adjusting what they're willing to pay lenders uh, on an interest rate. Now, stick with me. If I had bought that bond one year ago and I was getting that 2.8% and I decided today that, hey, I actually need my money back. I have to replace myself. I have to find a new lender. I have to sell my bond on the open market. If new offerings are coming through at 1.8%, but my bond is paying a more attractive rate at 2.8%, what do you think is going to happen when I sell it? Someone is going to pay me a premium because my interest rate that it's paying is more attractive than the current offerings. That is appreciation when it comes to the bond market. There's this inverse relationship between interest rates and bond prices. So over the last year, interest rates came down, and it depends on the bond you're measuring, but let's say interest rates came down about 1%. So that change of coming down 1% means that if I owned a bond, it was worth more. The price went up. It appreciated. Now, I think this is probably the important part to understand. We talked about with real estate that the landlord really wanted to focus on income because appreciation was unmanageable. They couldn't make a big difference there. That's even more true in the bond market. So if I own a bond, I have zero control over how that bond appreciates because it'll be subject to whatever direction interest rates go. Even more important to know, as I get closer to that bond maturing, right, if I lend the government my $100,000 and I tell them they can pay me back in 10 years, as we get closer to the end, that bond is not going to appreciate, right? It's going to go right back to what? the $100,000 that they owe me. So the reason that's really important, if you're looking at your bond portfolio in 2019 and it's experienced appreciation above and beyond what the interest rate is or what you expected on the bond, and you're not going to sell the, that bond portfolio this year, you're going to continue to be a holder, well, what you can expect is that in the future, you're going to have some sort of depreciation. That value is going to, is going to magnetize back towards what the uh, lender is going to pay you back. And that's why in, in this section, when you go on the blog, I said, hey, yes, it's true. Total return equals appreciation plus income. But another way to articulate it is that total return equals appreciation or depreciation plus income. So we've, we've gathered this idea that in the real estate market, our landlord focuses on rental payments. In the bond market, yep, same thing. You're going to focus on the income, the interest. And if you get some appreciation this year, you have uh, an understanding that that appreciation will probably be depreciation in the future until I tr unless I try to time it and, and, and sell it or something of that nature. Um, and the importance of that is that if you have that expectation in mind, you're not surprised in future years um, if the, the price fluctuates uh, for you or against you. Right, You're building the portfolio, whether it's of real estate or bonds, with this idea and this focus on income. Now, I took those examples at the beginning because they're the easiest. Let's transition to an asset that's a little bit more difficult, but one that's going to be pretty important to your portfolio. Let's talk about stocks. So when you think of the stock market, we know for real estate that the income was rent. We know for bonds, the income is interest payments. So for stocks, income is dividends. And again, I'll give you that reminder, total return equals appreciation plus income. If we're going to articulate that for the stock market, total return equals the price appreciation of the stock plus the dividend payment. Let me ask you this. If I turn on CNBC right now or Fox Business, what is going to get a lot of the attention? The appreciation or the price change in the market today or the dividend payments? 
ding, 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 you're right. The appreciation or the price change is going to get all the attention, right? I'm sure we were watching the news when the Dow hit 25,000. And I know that people are maybe sitting at the edge of their seat that, you know, sometime in the, the near future, maybe the Dow hits 30,000. And these are going to be uh, celebratory moments and they're going to make headlines and the Wall Street Journal is going to talk about it. So that is where all the glamour is, right? But these last two examples, I've talked about this idea of shifting your focus from the appreciation to the income, mainly for your sanity, right? Because the income feels more controllable, it has less volatility, and it's what you're going to spend. It's what's going to put food on the table and pay your rent for most people's portfolio. Now, let's apply that to stocks. If we look, and you have to go to the chart on the blog, it'll be helpful for you. I, I put in a chart saying, hey, from 1926 to 2018, if we look at that total return, how much of that comes from income versus appreciation? I'll have you look at the chart. You'll see it's really impactful that those dividend payments make up a huge sum of the total return. And if you look at, over time, dividends reinvested versus just the price appreciation, again, compounding over time, it's a big difference. The thing that I want you to focus your most attention on is that the appreciation part of the equation when it comes to stocks, the price fluctuates so much more than the dividends, right? I went back in this, this chart from, I think, the last 70 years or so, and I wanted to pull out how many times for the S&P 500, the general measurement of the stock market, did the, um, did the, the dividend payments year over year decrease? And what I found is that that had only happened six times. And five of those six times didn't feel very impactful. It was changes of between like less than 1% and changes of like three and a half, three 3.7%. So the year-over-year -year changes in the income wasn't huge. There was one year, 2009, obviously following the, the financial crisis, that the, the dividend payments year-over-year -year went down by 22%. But that was the only one that stood out. Now I run that same graph for the price. Whew, that feels like a roller coaster. There was multiple times going back to I think I the chart goes to 1926. There was times where it, 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 the the price drew down, like it's called a drawdown, uh, the, the 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 peak to the trough. The drawdown was greater than 80 percent in in this chart uh, one time. There was multiple occasions when it was greater than 40 or 50 percent. It feels, it looks like a roller coaster. And you can imagine for an investor, man, that emotionally is hard to deal with. So I wanted to draw attention or draw a comparison to go back to our landlord and say, man, how crazy would he go if he was focusing on what the value of that house was every day? But it's a meaningless metric, right? Because he's not going to sell the house. Where does his focus need to be? It needs to be on the rent. Now, if we took that same attitude and we brought it to the stock market, we'd be happier people, right? Because we would see that over the long run, dividends don't have a lot of volatility. So if we built a portfolio around sustainable and growing and reliable dividends, and we focused our attention on, hey, how do we manage that to look for companies that have a strong and sustainable amount of money coming in the door that can pay a dividend? We're not worried about getting cut and things like that. Well, that's what we do here at the Bonsa Group. We focus on dividend growth. And I'll tell you as an investor, if you focus your attention there, it'll be a lot more impactful. Right. So and I'll sum it up with going back to that equation. We make investments because we want to create a return and we understand that total return equals appreciation plus income. But I can't find an asset where I'm going to tell you that you have a ton of control over the appreciation. That's outside factors. 
But I am telling you, if you put your business hat on and you do your diligence in most of these markets, real estate, stocks, bonds, you as an investor, a business person, you have some level of control or understanding or expectation on how to manage that income. And it will be a meaningful impact because most of us will make poor decisions on investing when things go against us that are out of our control and we don't know how to react to it. So again, really simple equation, total return equals appreciation plus income. And I'll leave you with this. How much income does your portfolio currently produce? If you don't know that, you should look at it. If you have questions, you can email me at tcummings at thebonsongroup.com. We appreciate you listening. Please go ahead and rate the podcast, leave comments, and until next time. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced here and will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.